Hello, I'm Michael W. Kithcart, High Performance Leadership Coach and the creator of the Winning Your Way Framework. Welcome to the Champions of Risk podcast, where I feature business leaders and high performance principles through shared stories of triumphs and tough calls, so you're better equipped to navigate ongoing uncertainty. Take inspired action and define what it means to be winning your way in business and in life. This episode is for the revenue generators, the ones who put it all on the line in the name of providing solutions for clients and closing business. Now, before you try to tell me that you are not a salesperson, let me just ask you, have you ever had to persuade someone to see your point of view, either personally or professionally? Or have you ever crafted an email where you really needed someone to respond to it and they didn't? Yeah. I thought so. So keep listening. My guest today is Charlene DeCesar or Charlene Ignites, as she is known on all her social. She is a sales advisor with over 30 years of building successful sales organizations all around the world. Currently, she's a senior consultant and lead facilitator for the research-based sales training company, The Rain Group. She's also the author of The Email Cemetery, where bad sales emails go to die and how to resuscitate yours. Charlene, welcome to the podcast. Wow, thank you. Thanks for having me. This is going to be a fun conversation. Oh, yeah. And you know how it always starts, right? One salesperson meets the other salesperson and we go, how did you get into sales? So how did you? (laughs) So true. Well, I loved what you said earlier that in some ways everyone is in sales and particularly, you know, even as a kid, I was pretty good at getting my way. And if you think about what selling or sales is, it's really about persuasion. It's about getting other people to see your point of view. Um, And sometimes there's revenue at the end of that conversation or that negotiation, but doesn't have to be that way. Um, but actually my first uh, paid sales job, I guess the first time I ever got paid for being in sales, I was 16. It was my first job ever. And I worked in retail and I have never stopped. So I, I'm not shy to say I'll be 54 this year. And I've been doing some kind of sales since I was 16 years old. Uh, and I love it. I love it. It's so true that I get people who just say, oh no, I could never do sales. And then you walk them through what it is that they do in life and how they get what they want and all of that. Everybody on some level is, that's why Daniel Pink wrote the book, To Sell is to Be Human, right? You know, along. Mm -hmm. But when did you realize that you were actually good at sales? Because there are those who get into sales and it's not for them. How did you know you were good? Yeah, it's interesting because actually, I don't think I probably was that good when I first started, but, you know, I've certainly had some training and have had amazing mentors in my life. One of my best mentors used to always say to me that increased confidence brings increased capacity. And so to some extent, you know, it sort of just happened because I've had experience and I realized that most of the time in sales, we're not like in life and death situations. And I actually think the reason why most people are afraid of it is because they're trying too hard. You know, they make it bigger than it needs to be, or they feel like they have to be that guy who's like, what can I do to get you in this Prius today? Right. And and the reality is the best salespeople, and I think this is true for me too, are the people that, you know, don't resort to being a robot or icky tactics. 
It's more about making connections and having conversations. Mm -hmm. And I'm good at that. (laughs) Well, there you go. That, that makes a big difference. When you look back on your sales career, what would you say, did you have a tendency to, to work more in the service side of sales or products? Because that can make a difference. Yeah. So most of my career from, you know, like after high school, I guess, um, has been in high value services, really selling intangibles. Uh, although it's some mostly B2B, but some high value B2C. So business to business or business to consumer that said, you know, I worked with a lot of real estate agents. I've worked with people who have, um, network marketing product businesses. I've worked with a lot of people who have products And a lot of the principles can still apply as long as it's really about the relationships that you're looking to build. Mm -hmm. So I would say it's, it's really, if I had to like encapsulate it, it's relationship-based sales is really my forte. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people will, cause I've led sales teams, I've been a salesperson and I just was thinking before uh, we met like, what is that consistent theme? Like what, where do people tend to get tripped up on? And it seems like really at the beginning, just feeling like they have to know the perfect thing to say that that's going to magically like open up this relationship. Yeah. And, and it really isn't about one moment and yet there's still ways to prepare yourself better for that opening. And I'm curious if you have any, you know, any things that you are tips that are like tried and true around that? Yeah. I mean, I think um, to your point, people are worried about the perfect thing to say uh, and especially like giving the pitch, you know, like how do especially if they're new at something or they don't know a lot about maybe the new product or the service uh, or they don't feel practiced in their elevator speech or whatever. And here's the thing, I'm going to let everyone off the hook here. Um, The thing that will get you in the door is not what you say, it is what you ask. And so if you're ever nervous about going into any interaction, prepare great questions, do your homework so that you know something about them. And then really that magic bullet, and it kind of is one, is show them you know them be genuinely curious, ask great questions, get them talking, because actually when they're talking, you're winning, right? And so that's the goal. So take the pressure off. Yes, that you summarized it beautifully, beautifully. (laughs) You know, Michael, this is why they pay me the big bucks, okay? (laughs) Clearly, this is why Charlene is the master trainer, okay? (laughs) It's that and maybe my fantastic singing voice. I'm not sure. I'm just getting on that second one. <laughs> when, so when you were a salesperson, what would you say were some of your personalized traits? What made you such a great seller or become one? Yeah, I think um, I'm very goal oriented, which helps in a couple of ways. One is I know what I'm trying to achieve overall. So I have this sense of really what am I driving towards? And then what are the steps I need to take to get there? So I think there is this sort of sense of prioritization and uh, work ethic that really does help. Uh, and then I think in the interactions, it is, I really like people. I, I enjoy hearing people's stories. I am genuinely curious and I always go to a place of tapping into how can I help them? And you know what, if it means I sell something, then I do. If I don't have something that'll truly help them, then I won't. And that's okay. 
Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people, their biggest fear is rejection. Like they don't want to hear the word no. To me, I sort of embrace that because I feel like if somebody ever says no to me or we, you know, it's not really a rejection of me. It's really a mutual agreement that there's just not a good fit because otherwise an objection is not a rejection. An objection might be their way of saying to use uh, Chris Voss's, uh, who's the author of the book, Never Split the Difference. He says, sometimes no means help me say yes. And if I feel like the right answer for them is yes, I'm going to help them get there. And I will be a little bit professionally assertive about helping them get there. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah. How often though, have you found that people just won't even make the ask? Yeah. I mean that, I mean, it's, that's the old adage, right? If you, (laughs) you don't ask for the sale, you won't get it. Right. Usually, um, you know, we see this even, you know, I do a lot of sales training. I see this even in the emails that I review and people don't even ask for a meeting, let alone the sale. They'll say things like, you know, just let me know if you're interested. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm so sorry, honey, but they will never let you know. (laughs) Just like if any time you have any messages says, let me know you know, usually it's pretty good chance they won't. Um, but yeah, you know, I think embracing a sense of confidence to help, it's not even an ask, it's really like an offer, right? It's saying, look, here's why it makes sense for you. Here's why I think, you know, how I'm going to connect to the value for you, the transformation I can create and, um, let's go, you know, it's just like, when do you want to start, you know, and it's, it's not pushing anyone into something. It is really pulling them through based mm-hmm. on their own expressed needs and goals and challenges and all of that. Yes. And one of the, I, that pull through, I love that phrase because what I often will share with people is like, if you are asking questions in the right order, right. And you're taking them through a journey and based off of things that they say, you're providing some information that gives them more of an indicator. You're getting the buy-in throughout that it is just that let's go at the end because you've been bringing them along the whole, through the whole journey process. But I like that, that I can, that visual that you have with the pull through on it, because that just makes it a better experience for everyone around. I mean, if it's painful for the salesperson, think how painful it is for the other person. (laughs) You're not kidding, but it's true because so often what I hear when people think of sales, like, oh, I don't want to be pushy. It's like, well, I don't want to be pushy either. (laughs) I don't want to be annoying. It's like, I don't know. Are you an annoying person? Like, you know, it's, it's not the, it's not the sales conversation that makes, you know, it's not going to inherently make you pushy or annoying unless you're being pushy and annoying. Mm -hmm. Um, But to your point, it's sort of leading, I'd say leading the witness, you know, leading them through their own story of transformation or their own story of solving a problem or achieving a goal. And at the end of it, it's like, okay, wow, it sounds like there's a really great fit here based on you saying this, this, and this, um, and us being able to work together to do this, this, and this. So what's the right next step? Do you feel ready to sign a contract or do you feel ready to get your boss involved? Or do you feel ready? Tell me what feels right to you. And that's a way that I typically will quote unquote, close the deal without ever feeling like I'm being, um, pushy or salesy, you know, like it's like, that. what comes right to you? What's the right next step? And yes. if you think about it in terms of one step at a time, if the right next step is to an exchange of, you know, money or exchange of contract or whatever it is, 
then say, does that feel right, like the right next step? If it's not the right next step, they'll tell you what is and say, okay, great. Well, let's do that. You know, mm-hmm. um, unless, you know, there's some objection inherent to that that you need to overcome. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, one yes. step at a time. Like that. What are you ready for next? That that whole. Well, and actually the language choice there actually is very key. It's, it's what feels like the right next step and what feels right to you. And the reason why I always defer to, even in a conversation, does that feel right to you? What feels right to you is because I'm purposely and proactively always tapping into the emotional decision maker because that's actually where the decision happens. So I'm reminding them it's about how they feel. And I'm always working throughout the sales cycle to make them feel a certain way um, because we know based on science, science, uh, that decisions happen in the subconscious. 95% of decision-making happens in the subconscious. And so people decide or buy based on emotion. They justify with facts and logic. So any opportunity I can to tap into the emotional center, whether it's mirroring their emotions, you know, echoing their emotions back to them, speaking to the emotional impact, or saying something like, does that feel right to you? Or what feels right to you? Very intentional word choice. Mm, great clarification. Yeah. Case studies too are very popular. And because when people have success, those around them want to know like, how did you do it? Yeah. What worked? And I'm curious from the standpoint of, because it is a podcast of champions of risk, of what's a big risk that you have taken with a client, either because of the client situation or as part of a sale, the sales process? Yeah. You know, I think what feels like a big risk to a lot of people in the sales cycle is when they have to, well, one, just reaching out to a stranger. I mean, that's there's something sort of scary about that, you know, and then also sort of related to that, whether it's at the beginning of a conversation or at some point during the sales cycle is really challenging the buyer point of view and trying to change their mindset around something. Um, It can feel like a big risk because sometimes when you challenge someone, you know, there's a risk you're going to push them so far outside their comfort zone that they go into the, the fear zone or the paralysis zone. And then, you know, and then you've lost them and you do kind of cross that kind of boundary. It could also be a risk to maybe tell someone why there's a sense of urgency. You know, when they say like, oh, you know, get back to me in two months. I have too much going on. I'm too busy or I don't have the money. And you genuinely believe that what you have to offer them will make their life less stressful, take things off their plate, save them money or save them time. You know, it's like, you have to appreciate where they're coming from and also challenge them to say yes. And Right. So that's the best way to do it. Yes. And um, this is why this is important to do now, because based on what you told me about this, this and this, if you don't do this now in the two or three months, if I wait to get back to you, you're going to be twice as busy and you have a lot less money and you'll be a lot more scared or a lot more stressed. So time is of the essence. Um, what else is holding you back right now? You know, mm-hmm. and sort of challenging from that sense of urgency. Yeah, But we are so trained to like the customer is always right. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the reasons why I think about like Steve Jobs, who is a huge risk taker, you know, one of his mantras was tell the customer what they want, tell the customer what they want. And so that may feel like a risk. And if you lead with the insights, you take the lead to help them again, sort of shape their point of view and the way they should be thinking about things, 
not because you want to sell something, but because it is for them based on what they tell you is important to them, you know, what they're trying to overcome or what they're trying to solve or achieve. Right. Well, and shifting perspective is very powerful, right. And, and useful and helpful. I mean, like there's genuine good that you can be offering the client, even in just the conversation uh, around that. I always like that, you know, where the, the hesitancy of like, is the timing right? And that is just like, where are you going to be six months from now? If you just keep doing things the way that you're currently doing them. I mean, you're not happy with the results that you're getting right now. Well, and that's a needs discovery question that everyone should ask in the beginning, which is, you know, what's the impact of doing nothing? Like what happens if you don't solve this? What happens if you never achieve that, that goal? What happens if you don't find a house? What happens if you don't, you know, fix your skin or you don't like whatever it is, like literally there's anything you could think of that you would sell. There's an impact of whether or not it's with me or whether or not I use my solution. What happens if you don't do anything? What happens if you just keep doing what you're doing? And at the end of the day, as sellers, we are change agents, right? So our job is help people change something. Mm-hmm. There are lots of things we could change. Um, and meanwhile, human beings are hardwired for, hardwired for homeostasis. So we're trying to create change on a species that is designed not to change. This is what makes it challenging and also really rewarding if you think about it not as selling something and creating a transaction, but as a transformation to get someone from where they are now to where they really want to or could be. It's magical, magical. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, speaking of change, you were a salesperson and individual contributor, and you decided to make that sales leadership leap. What was that process like for you? Like, what did you learn about leading other people? Yeah. So I was a reluctant leader. So my journey, I went from being an individual contributor to a leader, to starting my own businesses, to then now I'm back in corporate again. Um, actually, the, the story, the way that it happened was, if we have time, <laughs> when I was a kid, my dad told me the story about how he left MIT. He was one of the first of his generation to get a college um, scholarship, but he couldn't deal with being in school. So he left went to a company where he had, he really thought he could do a job, wasn't qualified, wasn't qualified from an educational standpoint. So he said, I'll make a deal with you. Let me work for free for six months. And if you like me, then you'll hire me as if like I had the degree and all the credentials. Right. So it ended up working hand in hand, ended up becoming a very world renowned electrical engineer, inventor, and all of that. So I took a page out of his book. Um, when I was an individual contributor, I had an idea for a sort of strategic accounts kind of model at the company I was working with. I originally spoke to them about it. Their headquarters was in Connecticut. I live in New Hampshire. And so they were saying, you know, we really need somebody who's going to be in the corporate office if we're going to trust you with like a team and resources and all of that. So I said, well, I will make a deal with you. I will work for free. I said three months because I'm way cheaper than my dad and I have a lot more bills. (laughs) But I said, I will work for free for three months And at the end of the three months, if I don't grow the business 20%, then I will go stay in New Hampshire. I'll be an individual contributor and we'll forget we ever had this conversation. (laughs) And then I also worked on a a compensation plan that if I did achieve that 20% growth, year over year growth, uh, that I would essentially be elevated to a leadership position and get everything I wanted. So um, the TLDR is that it all worked out. I grew the business 46%. 
and ended up running a global team in five countries, 15 people. Uh, and we grew that business from I, when I started with that book of business, it was under $2 million. In three years, it was $38 million. So it ended up being a pretty good move. I would say, yeah. I would say. And so what did you love about that process? And because it's very different and we, you know, we know that not every salesperson is meant to be a sales leader and all of that, but you, there was something about that opportunity that propelled you or, you know, made you actually want to provide an offer and take a risk on, on whether or not you're going to be able to achieve the results. So why did you want to lead people? Yeah. I mean, there's a great saying by Howard Thurman, which goes along the lines of don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive and go do that because the world needs more people who have come alive. And so I realized what makes me come alive is growing things. It's been true of growing my children. It's true of growing my kittens to cats, <laughs> drive me crazy. <laughs> the cats and the kittens actually both, but, uh, but certainly, you know, growing businesses and growing people is at the heart of everything I love to do. So as a sales leader, I really looked at that as an opportunity to develop people and to coach and mentor. And it's where I realized that I actually don't like being a manager into this day. It's the reason why I don't have direct reports. And one of the reasons why I decided to shift my business and take a different kind of risk in my business. It's, you know, I like, cause to me, it's like you manage tasks and you coach and lead people. And I want to work with the people and help the people grow. So mm -hmm. that's really what makes it the most rewarding. And I would say every risk I've ever taken in my life has been about seeking that opportunity to get that, that alive feeling of growing something out of almost nothing. You know, whether, you know, I've led startup businesses where we went from zero to $10 million in three years, rewriting my book, you know, it was a blank page and the idea of growing an idea, creating something that is what makes me come alive. And that makes it like, so gee, why did you become a sales trainer? Because you could actually work with the people the whole time, right? Yeah, as a sales trainer now. So in January, I had my own business for nine years um, as a uh, train, like a freelance trainer, essentially, and a coach and a speaker and all of that. Um, but in January, I took this full-time role because I get to do all the fun stuff without having to worry about, you know, marketing or bookkeeping or <laughs> the IRS or like anything that I don't want to deal with. You know, it's really the best of all the worlds to, I get to show up every day and teach people and coach people and, you know, seek new ideas. And also Rain Group is a growing business too. So I do get to be part of that growth, you know, watching a team grow, getting to be part of all the fun that goes along with that. What do you see are some shifting trends in, with sales since the Rain Group's also a research-based company too, right? Yep. So what's evolving? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is a couple of big trends. One, of course, is virtual. Um, virtual selling is here to stay. There's a lot of research behind that. In a lot of businesses, I think um, you had mentioned pharmaceutical sales. Uh, you know, there's a lot of businesses where people are really used to being in the field and being face to face. And we're sort of just waiting for that to come back. 
And it is back to a large extent in many industries. And also what buyers are telling us that the majority prefer a virtual environment over the in-person sales visit. And so that might mean more FaceTiming, emailing, Zoom calls, uh, staying connected with insights and ideas over email or LinkedIn. And then, yeah, face-to-face here and there. Uh, But there's a lot of efficiencies that have been gained in the virtual selling environment. So that's big. And then the second is really this um, alignment to consultative selling and having better conversations where you're truly adding value to the conversation, not just trying to sell a solution. Uh, And then finally, uh, the other big trend is that, especially for companies, that it's not really about so much about the solution of the company. It's really down to the individual seller in terms of how they build value in their approach and in the relationship that they build. So in a way, a lot of the stuff that I was doing 20 years ago, which again, I wasn't even that great at it back then, but now that is the way, you know, that you'll be more the most successful is to be a conversationalist, to care about people, be genuinely curious and let the selling come you know, as it comes and be diligent about moving everything forward one step at a time, but going one step at a time and then knowing when to have the confidence to wrap it up and get the sale done um, because it can't drag on forever. But there, if you really create the right momentum, that will naturally happen. But that consultative approach, even in what could be a commodity business, is really the path of the future right now. Mm. That's great. Are you finding that companies are starting to invest more in preparing their sales teams for success? I think the good ones are, (laughs) you know, I think, you know, it's, there's an investment hopefully in people because of the talent shortage that we see right now and the quote unquote war on talent, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The great resignation, whatever news article you're reading, I think companies are realizing that these, it's always been true. It's just now it's really worth investing and keeping people more than ever. And so one of the ways you do that is to help teach them new skills, also help them feel like they do have some professional development and even the, whether they're great and it's, you know, keeping them engaged or maybe some people who have potential and just need that little bit of help to get them to be where they are capable of being. Communication is a, is a big piece of that building the, the rapport, the relationship and really having a mutual exchange. It's a big part of business and there's lots of room for error, right? <laughs> you think? <laughs> <laughs> I can say it from personal experience. I've, I've done it. I've witnessed it. Um, and also th- when it's been beautiful, right? You know, and, and has all been in alignment, but you wrote a book specifically about writing effective emails because that in particular feels like a place where it's so easy for communication to break down. So what inspired you to actually write a whole book about it? So actually, I mean, I've been blogging for about 10 years. I'm a, I love to write. It's in my, it's in my DNA, you know? Um, and so I had a blog where I was just writing kind of funny. I think I'm hilarious. I don't know, but uh, kind of funny little snippets, you know, on emails I actually received. And I would just look at these emails like, oh, you know, like what is happening? So I would talk about like why the email was so bad and then like what they could have done instead. And the name of it was, or the title was like, 
this is where sales emails come to die, right? <laughs> so they became the email cemetery. Fun fact, it's not the email graveyard because a graveyard is associated with a church. Cemetery is agnostic. So if anybody's wondering why I didn't name it the email graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fun it is fact. non-denominational, but uh, yeah, so it just was a, a blog that I had. And then I met a publisher who, you know, we were talking and I said, I've always wanted to publish a book. I have like three mostly written books uh, in the background that have never been published. And somehow this, he saw this idea. He's like this, you should do this. This is so marketable, particularly since my goal at the time was to get more speaking gigs actually. And it was true. Once I got the book done, I've done a lot of speaking on this topic and people have a good time with it. It's, um, I encapsulated essentially uh, nine personas of what not to do, like the egomaniac, you know, that making it all about us, which is the number one mistake that people make, the apologizer, the corny cornball, the order taker, and, and so forth. Okay. <laughs> okay. What should emails be about and what should they not? So I'm going to make them make this, this is actually a very easy answer. It's not about you. If you're the seller, <laughs> it's about your, it's about your buyer, about your prospect, especially the way you open the email, you know, it really has to have that hook, that trigger event, that thing, you know, about them or that person, you know, in common, you know, get their attention and rain group kind of the value proposition, three-legged stool is you have to resonate first and then differentiate and then substantiate. And that resonance comes from talking about the other person and speaking to them, not about yourself. So that is absolutely the key to, and actually to all great sales conversations as well. It's not about you. Yes. yes. <laughs> and so help me understand <laughs> because I feel like I get a lot of uh, emails that are, they start along the lines of, I know you're so busy and I'm just checking in I'm just checking back on that email that I sent you before. And again, these are just like, clearly they know nothing. Um, yeah. They're, they're just mass. But what is that? Why, where did that come from? And yeah. how can we destroy it? Yeah. So, and actually, you know what, out of the, all the things that you, the examples you just had, you know, something that's like, no doubt you're very busy, you know, running your charitable organization that does da, da, da. I'm especially impressed by how you like, so if they start with talking about you, honestly, like I'm not mad about that. If it starts with my biggest pet peeve, and I've gotten a lot of grief about this on my TikTok videos, which by the way, at Charlene Ignites on, um, <laughs> on TikTok, um, is when people start their emails with, hi, my name is, and I just wanted to. It's like, okay, first of all, I'm gonna take a deep breath because I get very riled up. <laughs> First of all, your name is already two places on the email. You don't need to tell me <laughs> your name. <laughs> Second of all, whenever somebody says, I just wanted to, the I, and anytime an email starts with the letter I, and again, to be helpful here, easy, best way to change all of your emails is to start editing out those ego words. I, me, my, I wanted to, I would love to, because the I says, hey, this is about me right now. 
<laughs> hello, I'm over here. I want to sell you something, you know, and you're sort of counting on somebody else to care. And then the just is what we call a kneecap word. And just is, you know, as I say, your, your message will betray your mindset. Just is a mindset tell that says, I'm not confident about this. I feel bad that I'm reaching out to you right now. I'm going to shrink back just a little bit because I, I know this is not going to go well. <laughs> so oh, I'm so busted on that one. Right? I, oh, yeah, I just, just is like that. So what I want everybody, whenever you're, so I like to give these tips. So get rid of the word I, you know, or make it about them. How can you reposition it? So it's about them. And every time you go to write the word just, I want you to imagine that you're about to get slapped in the face. <laughs> and you, because like the just word, the word just is like, you're like, like shrinking back. Right. I know this is audio, but hopefully you get the like feeling of like, like, oh no. Like, don't hit me. Just you, know? you saying that just <laughs> signals that you're not confident pisses me off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that I am never using that word. Hashtag. Sorry. Again. Not sorry. Yeah. Right. And then the other, the other thing is, again, it's, it's about, you know, being so thoughtful. The thing about emails is we get way too many of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in every word, every bit of attention you're trying to get from the, your recipient is so precious and valuable. So I say this out of love because I don't want people to waste their words. And so if they're saying, hi, I just, and then like, I just wanted to say, like, okay, we, I know you wanted to, because you're doing it. So, you know, there's a lot of that, like, let me tell you the inner workings and motivations of this behind the scenes of the email. And again, that comes from a place of insecurity. uh, And it comes from a place just not feeling that you have enough value or not internalized or articulating your value. They just say what it is, you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. instead of, I just wanted to invite you to this webinar, I just wanted to see if you might be interested in my podcast. It's like, Hey, you know, as a, uh, as a growing entrepreneur, I noticed that you posted your great results from last year. You, um, are likely trying to reach a wider audience, or you might find value in reaching a wider audience. Uh, would you consider being on my podcast? That's it. Right. There you so go. most of the editing that I do with emails, which to be clear, I'm not asking for anybody to hire me to edit their emails. <laughs> Because <laughs> I will sometimes get a lot of emails. <laughs> Can I hire you to edit all my emails? But, you know, in the coaching process and when I help people, most of the time we're just deleting words. We're, we're deleting words they don't need. And for example, when I tell people don't open with my name is and they say, well, what should I say instead? I said, nothing, <laughs> just delete it and just start, you know? <laughs> so it really is about being judicious and intentional uh, with with those words. And I want to go back to what you said before when I said, yeah. how can we get rid of these just blanket emails that say things that I always find are offensive? Yeah. <laughs> and you said, you don't mind when they say, surely you're busy, you know, running your organization, XYZ, blah, blah, blah. The distinction I realized out of the way you said it is that, and what triggers me is that there's nothing that states at all that they know one thing about who I am or what I do. Right. You, that's the absolute critical piece It's show them, you know, them. So for example, I don't know about you, but I get three emails a day telling me how impressive my profile is. Yes. And every now and then I get a little snarky and I write back and I'm like, so what do you think is impressive? Tell me more, you know? 
<laughs> because I know they haven't even looked at my profile. They just, you know, you say that to all the girls. So yeah. So it, it's, if you find something impressive about someone say, you know, I'm so impressed by the work you're doing with XYZ organization, you know, the, the cat foster society. Um, it speaks to me because I also foster cats. Um, you know, and then I'm curious. So here's one I phrase that I think is amazing. And actually science agrees is I'm curious. I'm curious. So open with something about them, show them, you know, them, and then be genuinely curious and ask an intelligent question that is about really wanting to understand them better. And, and again, honors the stage of the conversation you're at. So for example, if you have something to sell to, I get, I just got one today for, um, for marketing. Somebody, somebody wants to offer me marketing services to help me get more clients. Maybe the first question is, I'm curious, are you in the, are you looking for more clients? Not, not, I'm curious, uh, what are you looking for when you're hiring a marketing agency? It's like, well, I'm not hiring a marketing agency because I have a full-time job. I'm not looking for my clients, you know, but just think about like, what is the first question you need to ask? What's that entry in the door? And what could you create as a point of conversation that will resonate with them and save the selling for later? Because it may not be a good fit for you either. And that's the other piece of this. Sometimes we get ourselves so riled up about trying to be the perfect person for someone else that we forget that they have to be right for us as well. I tell my kids this all the time. I'm like, if you ever want to find the best partner, make sure that you find that, you know, you find the right person for you and that you're also the right person for them. You have to have both sides. There'll be people that are going to love you that think you're the best and you're not going to be that into them. You're under no obligation to embark in a relationship with them. But some people get so overwhelmed by this idea of trying to win others over that they forget that, that it's a mutually, you know, beneficial relationship that you're trying to get to. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes just having that attitude, you'll show up in the way that you prospect, for example, in a a much better light. So for example, on an email call to action, instead of saying, let's meet. And then I can tell you like how I can help you, or we could talk about how we might partner together maybe just say, you know, let's meet. And we, you know, we'll talk about this. We'll talk about that, you know, talk about you, share some stuff about me, and then we'll mutually decide on next steps. If any, that's it. It's my, one of my favorite closing lines, by the way, mutually decide on next steps. If any, take the pressure off, see what happens. Mutually says it has to be good for me too. And that usually works. Yes. All great tips. You can tell I get excited about this. I'll go on and on. You are. No, you're passionate about it. Uh, Excuse me. We only have uh, 30 seconds left. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's fine. What I appreciate is that you're giving really practical things. Anybody could be listening right now and you just help improve all of our email game. So thank you for for that. And you also created sales affirmation cards. I want to hear about this. Like, yeah, what makes them different sales affirmation cards? Well, it's really, I think the thing that I've sort of maybe battled with and then embraced in my career is trying to reconcile this ambition, this financial ambition, and this quest to really achieve a level of prosperity financially and to provide for my family and myself. And, you know, just based on the way I was brought up and whatnot, you know, there's a definitely room to vilify 
money and to think of sales as a bad thing and all of that. So I've embraced, like, I'm going to do certain things in sales to make money. And also I want to embrace that sort of spiritual side of me or that side of me that does believe that the best is yet to come, that the universe is working on my behalf. So long answer short, it's sort of to balance the sales training side with what my husband would call the woo-woo side. Oh, yes. Big <laughs> Which, fan of the woo-woo. Yeah, but you know what? The reality is it all does work together. And if you think of anyone you know, in the world of per- professional development that studies millionaire mindset and whatnot, mm-hmm. it is very much a mental game and being able to accept, for example, that when you say, you know, abundance is my natural state of being or I'm attracting, you know, the perfect clients, to be able to believe it and not feel guilty about it, you know, and to feel that that's something that you know you want and deserve and can have and will have. And so the idea behind the cards was just to give people like these one statement things that they could say. Uh, I'm a big fan of affirmations and sort of daily brain programming around creating what I want in my life. I mean, this is even before like the secret or law of attraction, but I guess it's kind of in that vein. The way I describe the sales success affirmation cards is it's the intersection between affirmation and action. So you might have like one of the cards that I have in front of me says, I lead conversations with curiosity and caring. Like I lead. So I would just, you know, I might just pick that card in the morning and say, I'm going to lead my conversations with curiosity and caring. And now throughout my day, as I'm having conversations, it'll remind me to ask more questions, to take the lead, to have love in my heart, you know? So it kind of reminds me of that. There's also one that says, all of my actions support my dreams, you know? So it's like, okay, like I can dream and want things and take action. There's another one that's, you know, I have one that's, I mentioned before, uh, abundance is my natural state of being. I accept it now. Asking for business and closing deals comes easily to me. Yes. And it's just sort of repeating these things to yourself. So some of them genuinely might be a tip like, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. (laughs) Like I always get the next meeting while I'm meeting. That is my soapbox. That is my sales soapbox. If, and this is true for dating, for any time, teenagers, if you ever want to see them again, <laughs> while you have them in front of the, front of you, you secure the next time they're going to be in front of you, right? Right. So that's sort of the idea behind the cards is to give people potentially a daily, like they do a daily draw. Um, I actually have a blog with like 15 ways to use them. Great in meetings to sort of talk about best practices or blockers. You could use it in a one-to-one meeting, you know, what might be holding you back? Do you believe this? Do you not believe it? Are you doing this, not doing it? So kind of like a conversation starter, either maybe with yourself or with a team or with a boss or yeah, whatever, whatever works. No, I can see lots of uses for that. Uh, You're active on social. Uh, In the beginning, I said that you're known as Charlene Ignites. So how can people find you? What are some of the different ways? Because you have so much to offer. You said blogs, you have cards, you have books, like, come on, Charlene, how can we, how can we keep learning from you? Well, I will say if there are people that are in their early phases of like building their brand, taking that risk of putting themselves out there, 
the best advice, maybe not the very best, but like very good advice that I got was to come up with my brand that I could have as my URL for my website and my hashtag for every social media platform. And then if, if you Google it, you there's different various sites where you could search to see if something's available. So I tried lots of combinations. You know, my tagline when I started was uh, inspire, ignite, illuminate. So I tried different combinations. Charlene Ignites was free on every social media platform and the URL. So that became my sort of moniker, I guess. So as a result, I'm very easy to find. I'm the only Charlene Ignites on the internet because I own it. Lately, I will say I'm the most active on TikTok and LinkedIn. I hate to disappoint anybody. I don't dance. I don't wiggle. I don't. <laughs> I don't do any of like the, what people probably think of TikTok as I do sales tips, sometimes cat videos. And then also LinkedIn, I'll share some things on LinkedIn. I really enjoy connecting with people on LinkedIn. I welcome anyone to send me a LinkedIn connection request. I always accept unless, you know, it's like a fake person or something. Bill Gates has tried to friend me like seven times and I'm pretty sure it's not him. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't do too much Facebook these days because my business goals have changed. Sometimes I go on Twitter. Uh, if anybody wants to exchange Wordle results, I'm happy to do that. So yeah, but uh, that's great. Well, thank probably you. LinkedIn. I'm going to say if I had to pick one place, people want to come find me, LinkedIn would be it. And it's the LinkedIn URL slash Charlene Ignites. Okay. I love that. And I, I can't leave without asking you, what are you a champion of? Ooh, I'm a champion of curiosity. I'm a champion of just be curious, be interested in other people instead of trying to be interesting. How's mm -hmm. that? Yes, that's, that's a great way to end. So thank you so much, Charlene. I've learned a lot today and I know our listeners will too. So appreciate you being a guest. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Hey, before you go, I want to share something with you that is really kind of near and dear to my heart. It is winning your way for senior leaders. Now, this is something that's been a, like a long time vision dream for my, me, and I am putting it into motion. It is starting in May. And what it is, is it's for women who are in mid to upper level management specifically. These are women who have been leading teams for years and are either not getting any professional development or what's being offered doesn't match the level of leader that they want to be. They're often sandwiched between the C-suite, who gets executive leadership support, and frontline managers, who get first-time manager cohort training. These are busy senior management women and they have different challenges, needs and career goals. And winning your way for senior leaders provides that advanced leadership development experience that they've been looking for. So you might just be that person. If you are a woman in senior management, check out the website at michaelwkifkart.com there's an application process. It's for 12 women who will go through a peer group monthly for a year. It's an annual program. It's like nothing that you've ever gone through before because this is creating leadership transformation from the inside out. You meet in person monthly as a peer group. You have 
one-on-one coaching throughout the year. It supports a discovery of learning, elevating your leadership effectiveness, and designing what success looks like you, looks like for you so that you're winning your way in your whole life with your whole self. This opportunity begins on May 11th. Again, it's limited to 12 senior leaders committed to reaching a new level of growth for themselves and for others. It's not a networking group. This is full contact. We're going deep here. So if you're interested in finding out more, go to michaelwkithcart.com.